You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Why was Jesus born? Many passages, of course, that we could turn to. Um, but tonight I invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to look again at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're just going to be looking at three verses here this evening, verses 15 through 17. And we're going to see three very uh, brief points, very simple points from these three verses. And, of course, these letters were written to establish the church, to ground the church in the basics, you know, um, Timothy in the city of Ephesus, and, and of course, Titus on the island of Crete. And so they were designed to teach these new churches how to do God's work God's way. So Paul is dealing with the basics in these verses. And nothing is more basic to God's work than the gospel of Jesus Christ, and nothing more basic to that than the birth of Jesus Christ. So tonight, as we consider that question, why was Jesus born? Let's let Paul answer that from 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He was born, first of all, to save sinners. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is one of the five trustworthy statements, as they're called, from the pastoral epistles. In other words, these are fundamental. These are basic. These are axiomatic truths. You can take these things to the bank. And Paul wants this to be established as foundational in these churches that these men are ministering to. And this is the gospel message, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. Back in Matthew one twenty one. It said, as the angel speaking to Mary uh, about Mary's pregnancy to Joseph, said, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he came, to save the lost, to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am the foremost. Paul had a deep sense of his own sin. Even as a spirit-led, spirit-filled apostle of Jesus Christ, he still carried with him a memory of his sinful past. In fact, back up in verse 12 and 13, he recounts that. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. When he calls himself a blasphemer, he's confessing that he had violated the first table of the law, of course, which uh, regulated how man was to relate to God. And when he calls himself a persecutor, he's confessing his violation of the second table of the law because that regulated how man was to relate to other people. And he just sort of wraps the whole thing up by calling himself an insolent opponent of God. Paul had shattered God's law and was a notorious sinner. He was so well known that even when he, after he was saved and he came down to Jerusalem, he had to have, uh, he had to have Barnabas vouch for his discipleship so he could uh, have fellowship with the other Christians there in Jerusalem. But when he calls himself the, the, uh, um, 
the foremost of sinners, the best way to understand that, as we'll see in the context, is that not that he was the worst of sinners per se, he was a horrible sinner, but that he was the most prominent, the the most well-known sinner of his day. That's the best way to take it. And so Paul understood he was a great sinner, a famous sinner, and the grace of the Lord had overflowed to him to save him from that sin. And the reason for that is found in verse 16. He repeats the phrase for the second time, but I received mercy. He had set it up in verse 13, but I received mercy. The best way to see this is, and we don't really have a good English rendering of this word. It is a verb and not a noun. So basically you could say, I was mercied, even stressing the passive sense of that verb. Paul is a first-hand witness to the infinite grace of God that Jesus Christ saved sinners, and his evidence is himself. And the reason that he says in verse 16 that in me as the foremost or as the most prominent well-known Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul understood that God was using him as a prominent, well-known sinner to save him and then prominently display the grace of God through his life, to demonstrate publicly his grace. This is the apostle who would write 13 letters of the New Testament to be used mightily by God to establish the church in the Gentile world. And yet he was still humble enough to confess that he was a prominent sinner and that he was a recipient of the wonderful, magnificent grace of God. And notice carefully who God wants to display this to that Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe. To those who were to believe. Very literally, to those who were going to believe. You say, well, that sounds kind of narrow, almost like God is limiting this. Well, that's what the text says. If it violates your theology or tradition or even how you feel, that is what the text says. But would you notice also who were to believe in him, and it gets even narrower, for eternal life. He's not talking about being saved by believing anything or by just having random faith. He is saying you must believe and you must believe in him and you must believe in him for eternal life. So Paul understood that he was a great sinner, a famous sinner, well known in his day. And the realization of God's massive, powerful, saving grace being put on public display in his life, moved him to burst out in a statement of praise in verse 17. And that brings us to our third point. That baby Jesus was born that night to save sinners, to display God's grace, to put on display the overwhelming grace of God in order to glorify God. So Paul says in verse 17, to the king of the ages... This is the one who was the eternal king. In fact, even some translations call, render that the king eternal or the eternal king. That little baby who was born that night wasn't ordained king. He wasn't appointed king. He wasn't elected to be king. No pope or council or church government or any type of denomination appointed him to be king. He was born king of the Jews. He is the king who is the eternal one. 
And Paul says he's the immortal one. Of course he's immortal. He is not perishable, not subject to corruption, and neither is the salvation that is in him. He is the one who was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, we beheld his glory. So he's the one who was invisible eternally, but he became visible in that little baby that night. And Paul says he's the only God. Three words in the English, but two words in the Greek. Monotheo, the only God, alone God is another way you could render that. That little baby who was born king of the ages, the eternal king, is the immortal one, the invisible one who was made visible at his birth, and he's the only God. And because of that, Paul says, he is worthy of honor and glory. For how long, it says? Forever and ever. Of course, he's the eternal king, and the salvation that he gives is eternal life. So those of us who know him will be worshiping him forever and ever. And Paul says then, amen. Why was Jesus born? He was born to save sinners, to put on display the powerful grace of God, to bring glory to God. The year was 1807, a few days before Christmas, and the well-known British pastor, hymn writer, and abolitionist, John Newton, was close to death. He was 82 years old. He had been blind for some time, but now he was failing both physically and mentally. Like Paul, John Newton knew the overflowing grace of God, the powerful grace that had saved him from a life of wretched sin. And as we know, he penned probably the most famous hymn of the uh, of, of all time, Amazing Grace, where he captured that great truth. As he neared death, he whispered to a friend, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. So for those of you who are familiar with these truths, I hope this has stirred you up by way of reminder, like Peter said. But if you've heard these truths for the very first time, I would urge you to turn from your sin. If God has shown you that you are a sinner, like Paul understood, like John Newton understood, and like everyone who's ever come to Christ has understood, turn from your sin and repentance. And as Paul said, believe in him for eternal life. If you do, you will find him to be a gracious, powerful Savior, because that is why he was born. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.